0: You're listening to Precinct 444, a podcast network from the National Law Enforcement Museum. Today, we're bringing you an episode from Icons, where listeners are introduced to incredible people working within the law enforcement community who have made a profound impact in our world. These one on one interviews provide insight into their lives and careers so we can better understand their challenges and recognize their bravery, commitment, and sacrifice. Welcome to Precinct 444. I'm Christopher Mitchell, the producer of Precinct 444 and manager of digital content and strategy at the National Law Enforcement Museum. Today's series is truly a special one. As we're nearing the end of Pride Month, we here at the Precinct wanted to leave a lasting impression on everyone by releasing the six full oral histories of the participants featured in the digital exhibit, Experience Pride Behind the Badge, the history of LGBTQIA in law enforcement published today. A link to the exhibit can be found in the episode descriptions from this series. If you're listening to these episodes on the original published date, a companion program is set to air this coming Wednesday, June 28th at 2 p.m. Be sure to register using the link found in the episode descriptions. The purpose behind these projects is to share the often untold stories of LGBTQIA plus and law enforcement through their own words, they come from all walks of life and all types of law enforcement. Episode one of this series begins with Greg Moralia and Anthony Casper. They rehash their early career challenges, what motivates them to continue serving in law enforcement, plus their views on law enforcement as a whole and the progress of LGBTQIA in law enforcement. And now for part one of Pride Behind the Badge featuring Greg Moralia and Anthony Casper. Tell me about your law enforcement journey. What made you want to enter the field of law enforcement? Well, I I started
1: uh, as a freshman in high school, and I never had any ambitions about law enforcement at all. My dad was a career firefighter, and he had a friend who was a deputy sheriff, and he said, hey, would you want to go on a ride-along one day? And I thought, sure, why not? And I fell in love with the job immediately. I, I, I still remember to this day every single thing we did, um, I remember the deputy walking up to greet me in his cowboy boots and mirrored sunglasses and a big wad of keys he had on his belt. And we got into this 1977 Dodge Monaco and took off for the day. And I knew at the end of that day, that's just what I wanted to do. And that led me into, you know, a cadet program uh, as a freshman in high school. And the rest is history. I mean, it's been a really, really remarkable and rewarding career.
0: And how long were you in, Greg? So I started in 1978.
1: I was a freshman in high school then, and uh, they had a fortunately a cadet program uh, in a city uh, in the Bay Area, Walnut Creek. Uh, it's where I grew up. I I spent all of my weekends, all of my free time, all of my whole social group in high school was in the cadet program in Walnut Creek, and it still holds a very dear place in my heart. And I ended up getting hired there full time, uh, almost right out of high school, as a 911 dispatcher to start. And, uh, that shaped everything that followed from there.
0: Did you have any family on law enforcement?
1: No, my dad was a a 30 year career firefighter. And, you know, I don't think my parents really thought that I would take to law enforcement or be interested in it. And then when I did, I I think they were concerned. I know my mom wasn't happy about it at all. Uh, And it wasn't until years later when she actually was able to do a ride along with me that she got it and understood why I, I loved it so much, um, but I don't think they anticipated that I would have gotten into this at all. But I didn't either at the time, right? You know, it was, it was one of those things, and uh, it's been great. Yeah, it gets into your blood, and I hear that all the time, too. You have law enforcement running through your blood, and it's very, very difficult once it gets in there to walk away from it because the job is so exciting, it's so challenging, and it's always different. Um, And I always tell students, you know, if you want a job that's predictable and you want to have an 8 to 5 job that you go home at 5 o'clock every day from that's predictable, go be an accountant. You know, that doesn't change much. But if you want a job that is ever-changing and different every single solitary day, then this is a great one.
2: What about you, Anthony? This is my dream job. This is what I've always wanted to do since I was a little kid. Um, At the age of 13, uh, I became an explorer for a city that I lived in and um, my dream took off from there so i was an explorer for a few years uh, went through high school uh, went through college and then went through the academy that's where i met greg um, i had some cop friends because through the explorer program um, and then a very close family friend of mine who i consider like my stepdad worked for the sheriff's office that i currently work uh, at now and and uh that's how i got where i got to be there but it's i've had an amazing childhood almost career because of the cadet program and learning the job through and through and like Greg said that it's that changing of every day you know you don't when you show up to work you don't know what you're going to get yeah. and he's kind of living that life on the edge that thrill that adrenaline rush i've always been um voice had that drive towards and so it, it's been great um, since i've started my career i've never in a million years thought i would be sitting here today and doing something like this. Uh, my, my career path, my mind growing up as a kid was, I was enjoying the military, uh, try to get into special operations and then get out of the military and be a tactical officer either for the federal government or for some big law enforcement agency. Um, now, knowing what I know now, I'm glad I'm happier with the path that I went down um, or that I'm currently going down um, because it's allowed me so much more to one, explore myself, Um, to help my community, which I've learned really love to do, Um, and I learned that through being a cadet, um, which is all volunteer paid hours. Um, I'm sorry, volunteer hours. And then from there, I got into certain aspects of the job that I didn't even know existed. So for example, I I currently work in our civil unit. So my job is to uh, serve restraining orders and conduct evictions and other type of court documents. Um, And it's a whole different aspect of law enforcement that i didn't even know existed for me fighting crime meeting penal uh, penal codes is black and white it's it's either meet the elements of the crime or you don't this world in civil is very gray you're you're working with civil law and and you're trying to find out all these court cases and how to sort of document without violating people's rights and be respectful to both sides of the party um so it's 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 extremely challenging and uh it's, it's been the best thing that I've gotten into so far in my career.
0: There's 35 years separating the times when you both entered law enforcement. Greg in 1977 and Anthony in 2012. What do you both think has been the biggest change to law enforcement during this time?
1: I, I, I don't know. That's a, I think so many things have changed. But technology, if I had to sort of lump it into one category, has changed. Um, um, access to information, access to news... When I grew up, there were three sources of news: ABC, NBC, and CBS. Now there's millions because everybody has a cell phone, mm-hmm. and everybody can broadcast their own version of the news live as it happens. I think for me, at least in my career time, that the turning point when things shifted, when I noticed a shift, was March 3rd of 1991, and that was when Rodney King was stopped in Los Angeles. And that was the first time that a video image of a police encounter was broadcast all over the world. And people were aghast by it because they had never seen something like that live and being recorded on video. And that changed. That caused a sweeping change in law enforcement. And now, you know, you can go into YouTube every day and see different depictions of police at work, some really great, but most of the ones that people capture and post on YouTube aren't great. So it makes it seem like law enforcement is, you know, brutal. Mm-hmm. But we don't see, we don't see enough of the good things that, that happen. But getting back to the question for me, it's, it's really about technology change and cameras. Um, the body worn camera is, is a, is a game changer, total game changer. Uh, and that get, lets people, that lets the public see the reality of the job. It's, I don't know. What do you think? No, I I would 100% agree.
2: Um, The video recording has absolutely changed the job um, and how the job works. And I think, honestly, for the better. I think there's a lot of people out there that think it would be for the worst, but I actually think it's for the better. Uh, Cameras have already proven um, that it has saved cops more times than actually have done damage to law enforcement, especially in court aspects and and things like that, um, allegations against cops. Generally, get proven throughout body cam footage that those cops didn't do those type of things. Um, Obviously, there are the horror stories; we can't be naive to those. There are bad things that happen, unfortunately. But um, I think the the camera has been a huge change to law enforcement. Um, As terms of the LGBT community, um, I have seen a shift, at least in my short career, my ten-year career, um, from at least from. Definitely since when I was a cadet, starting in 2003 to where I am now. Um, And it's a progressive uh, change that I've saw, which is good. Um, I I do feel we are starting to see a little bit of back push um, more more recently, especially um, with the transgender community. um, Officers are becoming a little more open, talking about their feelings, um, which I believe everyone does have the right to their own opinion. I'm a firm believer in that. But we also have a job to do. We have to be professional. So we have to pick and choose when we want to voice our opinions and because we do represent the community that we serve. So we have to be careful with that. And that's where, once again, body cam or video footage can really do harm to law enforcement is when you get officers speaking or voicing their concerns or their opinions that may really have nothing to do with them at the time of the job serving their community. Um, so, but yeah, it's definitely, I would say, video footage has definitely changed the curve.
0: There's a considerable gap in time between when you both entered the field of law enforcement. I wonder if either of you had any reservations about choosing that as a career, especially you, Greg, having entered in the late 1970s. Well, 1978 was a very different time uh, and
1: on just about every level. Uh, it was 1973 when the American Psychiatric Association made the decision to, quote unquote, normalize being gay. I, I had no understanding of that at that time, but I knew When I got into that patrol car that first day that I was gay, I wasn't out. You couldn't be out. But it was something that that I knew that I couldn't tell anybody that I couldn't be out about. and So I just locked that away. And I didn't really necessarily consciously think about it being an obstacle for me. At that time, it would have definitely been an obstacle. I wouldn't have even been able to enter the cadet program because it it wasn't allowed. the culture still saw a gay person as a deviant or a pervert and disordered. And so there was no way. And I remember walking into the department the very first hour, the very first day I was there and hearing, don't be a queer, don't be a fag. And it was, that was just part of the conversation. So I got educated very quickly that, okay, I need to keep that very, very hidden. And I made a conscious decision to do that, and I was good with it because I wasn't going to let anything stand in the way of what I wanted to do. I just said, I'm not going to deal with that. But that was in every other aspect of my life at that time, too. Um, 78 was the year the current pride flag, or the original pride flag, was created. 78 was the year that Harvey Milk was elected to, to office in San Francisco. And then, you know, 11 months after he was elected, he was assassinated. And that all happened in that first year of getting into law enforcement. So the messaging around who I was and it not being compatible with the profession at that time was very clear. And I was okay with that at that, at that time in my life. If I look back on it now and, look and, and, and thought, okay, would I be doing what I'm doing today, um, sitting here telling my story, uh, and doing the speaking that I'm doing, uh, it was not anything I would have ever imagined possible. But it's a great example of how quickly, relatively quickly, and how much things have changed for the better uh, for LGBT officers. And, I mean, you've seen it. Oh, Yeah, absolutely. your time.
2: So for me, um, I've always known I've been gay my whole life. Um, I, I always tell people I knew I was gay before I even knew what the word gay meant, meaning <clears throat> as a kid... I knew I felt certain ways towards classmates, but I really didn't understand it. It was to the same sex. Um, But as a kid on the playground, that's so gay wasn't really related to the same sex. It was just more of a slur. And so it wasn't until I got into junior high school and things of that nature, I was like, I started putting the two together. Um, And then when I became a cadet, um, the department that I worked at heard some homophobic slurs and things like that. I'm going, oh, this is kind of, different wasn't really expecting this um, i grew up in a pretty conservative at the time conservative county uh, very republican um, i didn't grow up with any gay friends my parents didn't have any gay friends um, my only th- really thing that i've known about gay people at, th- at that time was they're flamboyant they talk with a high pitch they, they meet a lot of the stereotypes out there so i felt very different because that, that wasn't me um, i grew up <clears throat> my dad raised me hunting and fishing i raced dirt bikes my whole life so I didn't fit this stereotype, and so for me as a kid, I was trying to figure out how am I really gay? Because in, in my shelterness and the world that I lived in, that the t- what TV was portraying at the time, I wasn't it. So there was a lot of questions for myself, but still very well knowing, I have this attraction towards the same sex. Um, so coming to get hearing the home folks slurs, I started I really started thinking I was really the only like gay cop in the world. With this hidden secret um it wasn't until i got into the academy it was for the first time I, ever, I met another gay officer so not until i was 21 years old so all that time in law enforcement from 13 to 21 i never even really met a gay cop still at that time do you know gay cops existed because of the shelterness and where i grew up it wasn't a thing um, <clears throat> so the academy was huge for me the academies were the first time where i came out uh, greg was the first person that i told Um, Greg does an awesome skit in his classes. When he first meets his classes, he walks into the class and welcomes everyone. And he goes, we're gonna do a little exercise here. Describe me, tell me who I am. And everyone starts saying, oh, sir, you're probably very well established. You're an instructor here. You probably have a wife and kids and things of that nature. And then he goes, okay, so some of that's true. I am established. Thank you, I am married. But to my husband, Tony, and my mouth just dropped. And I went, there's no way. But then he goes on to say, that he worked for that agency that I was a cadet at at one time. I went, there's a joke coming. There's a joke at the end of this. He's messing around. Okay, I understand. Now I get this. Until I learned it wasn't a joke. It was very rural. And so something came over me where I just had to talk to him. I'm like, there's another one. And uh, from there, my, my world exploded. I got to meet several other gay officers and network and with and realize as naive as it may sound in 2012, I wasn't the only one. Um, and so from there, my role t- uh, took off, like I said. But I still, when I came out to Greg, I still had plans of I wasn't going to come out. If I, if I was going to come out, I wasn't coming out till I was off pro, um, field training. I wasn't coming out till I was um, off probation. So I was very fearful of I wasn't either going to get hired or if someone found out in between, I was going to lose my job. And I wasn't willing to risk
1: that because my dream was to be a, a cop, a police officer. I remember that day that he came in, and I will never forget it. It was uh, reminded me of the exact day, January 20th. It was two weeks into the academy, and no student talks to staff two weeks into the academy. People are still shell-shocked. And he, he asked to talk to me, and I said, sure, come on by. And he came in, and he was physically shaking. And I thought, oh, my God, what happened? Did, what happened? Would it, did someone from the staff do something? What happened? Um, and then he came out and it was, it was remarkable. And he told me, I'm I'm not going to tell anybody until I'm years from now off probation. And and I said, okay, well, good luck with that. Because I knew that once you tell someone, once, once you've made that stuff to come out that you you can't hold that secret anymore. Um, And I'm glad you didn't.
2: Yeah. it It was a bit of a gamble. So, um, I grew up in a kind of a, a Catholic background. I'm half Portuguese. So uh, I went through first communion, confession, all that stuff. Um, and so coming out to my parents and my grandparents, who I'm very close with, I was very worried that there's a possibility of being, dis- uh, being disowned, being kicked out of the house, especially while I'm in the academy. My parents were paying for the tuition at the time for the academy. Um, but I made the decision that I needed to tell them and they needed to know. So a week later, I told my parents, and uh, luckily it was all good. it was great. Uh, me and my dad, we've always were, were very much alike we butted head, butt heads at first. Um, he he didn't know how to handle it. but now my dad's one of my best friends. He's extremely supportive. It was just that growing pain of learning the he had this idea of who his son was going to be. We were very close growing up, and I kind of threw a curveball at him, and he quite didn't know how to handle that at the time. Um, but I, I can ask for a better outcome than, than what I have currently now. Um, so, from there, it was just a, a series of steps. Um, I started telling people that I knew I at certain agencies to come out to. And that was a little different at the time as well, because, like I said, I grew up in a conservative county. and Generally, sheriff's offices are a little more Western, a little more Republican. So, you have people with some very strong um, beliefs and values. And so at the time, I had a few friends. It was kind of like, I, once I found out, I had a sickness. And you know, I tell people, it's like the, the blood drained out of my body. My body was filled with glitter, and they're just waiting for this big glitter explosion to happen. Me um, to come out with rainbow flags and meet all the stereotypes, and that didn't happen. And so for a lot of people, they couldn't figure it out at first. But now everything's been great. I got the best coworkers in the world. Um, I got an extremely supportive agency. Um, but I think the big turning point for me in telling my agency was uh, what happened at the academy. And that's, uh, we had a community-oriented or- community policing project uh, we had to do, and uh, my topic was gay youth. So it was me and uh, three other members, if I remember correctly, in my group. And you have to do all this research and interview all these people and then present your findings to the class with resources and how to help that uh, part of the community. So we do our presentation, and at the end of the class, I come out and basically state why I picked this topic with this group and how it affected me. And I basically came out to my class, and the support that I got, I would have never expected in a million
1: years. Standing ovation. Um, the
2: class. It was yeah, it was it was mind blowing for me. It was, it was a big deal um, because I never expected that support in law enforcement because once again the shelteredness of. Yeah. How I grew up, so having that and seeing that support gave me a lot of hope. Just now, start realizing I can actually live my true life, be my true self, and still be doing my dream job. Um, and so that was that was huge for me.
1: I, I think what's what's interesting is there have always been LGBT members of law enforcement. Always, they just haven't been able to be out. And so that shift in history that happened that started in the '70s and, and continues today is that people are able to be their authentic selves. And you know, one of my great friends, Judy Shepard, mother of Matthew Shepard, who was murdered in that hate crime 25 years ago, she always said, the most powerful way of changing hearts and minds is through sharing your story. And so as law enforcement officers come out at work, as coworkers meet someone who is, does not represent their stereotypes or their worries or whatever it happens to be, they learn. And, then people get more comfortable. And I think that's what's really been happening. I mean, now there's, well, you were hired when you were out. Right. As the first, but now seeing out applicants who have been out since they were my age, right, when I started, they don't expect to have any kind of resistance. They, they've they always been out, they've always sort of been accepted, and so they just, they're looking to get in, and, and they're in many places able to do that. Um, Transgender people now are sort of the new. I won't. Call, I'll call it a struggle because it is. There's a challenge there, right? We're, we, as a country, are trying to understand who transgender people are, and in law enforcement, that understanding is much more challenging. So that's that's where we're at now. We have people who have been in the job for years and years and years, like I was, coming out in their 40s or later, uh, and that's a. Big deal for those individuals. It's probably the most significant emotional event of their life. I mean, I know it was for me, for sure. Uh, and you know, those are the stories I hear every day about how significant that is. Still.
2: Well, I think we have to ask ourselves, as a country, as agencies. You know, for me, 2012, I was the first out, openly gay deputy hired. Right, 2012. My agency's been around since 1850. Uh, you can't tell me there's been no LGBTQ people that's ever worked for that agency. And so why why was I the first in 2012? There's agencies, I'm sure, to this day, that in 2023, they probably they still have, have never had an out LGBTQ officer. and So you have to ask yourself, well, why? Why is that? Is there, is there a culture going on with that department, that community, that portion of, or region of the country? What's going on there? So... Why is this still an issue? Like, I, we just talked at the FBI National Academy just yesterday, and I said, it's amazing to me, it's mind-blowing to me, that we still have to have this conversation as a country. Um, someone said it best yesterday, and it's frustrating that we are still having conversations about stuff that we've already had conversations and figured out prior to. So why do we keep going back? What's, what's, the, what's the problem here? Um, and I think but what I have noticed is as more people come out, we are seeing more acceptance and law enforcement is progressing in the right direction. I truly do believe that. Um, but I think we should be a lot further along in 23rd or 2023, um, than we are currently as, as a career
1: field. But that's the beauty of this exhibit as well, is that this is a piece of history of law enforcement that's never really been told before. It's never really been made visible before, but of course it's been there. And, and so I'm excited about the fact that people are going to be able to learn and think about people they've worked with, stories that they've heard, and reflect on the fact that this is not some new age thing that's happening. I, was, I heard plenty of, through the rumor reveal that because of the academy I went
2: to, that academy turns people gay. And I was a, pro- a product of that. that. Those are the type of things, the negativity, the homophobia that you hear. Um, and so like I said that stigma is still there. I'm a very firm believer people have the rights to their own opinions. I have my own opinions. I ask to be respected for that. I will respect your opinion. If you don't like the LGBT community, that's fine. That's your opinion. But we still have to work together. We still have to have human respect and respect people. I don't think we need to treat people wrongly or badly just because we have a different opinion, difference of opinion. And I think as society, that's something we struggle in. Um, and it's especially true in law enforcement, the type A personalities that we have um,
1: that you know, come
2: to this career field.
1: I think the other side of it though that, I, that in, in all fairness I need to say is that when I came out, and it was in 2004, I really underestimated my coworkers and really underestimated the people around me. Um, I was the director of the academy at the time, I was a deputy chief for a small police department at the time, and was pretty established in the, in the law enforcement community. But people had grown to know a, a certain narrative about me that wasn't true. And so not only did I have to come out, to people, but I also had to undo that narrative. now i never I never married a woman, I never had fake girlfriends or did any of that. but there was a story there and, and some excuses I had to make about why I didn't have a wife and why I didn't have a girlfriend, and that all had to be undone. And you know, like Anthony, I was really concerned about how my parents were going to react to family, but also my colleagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a very visible position, a fairly political position, and so what was going to happen? And I have to say that at least to my face, Not one person said anything negative. I had absolute support from my friends. They got it. Um, Some suspected, but total support. And you know, much like Anthony, I mean, my career exploded after that. And I think that is a is an important message here for especially closeted LGBT officers. Is that when you begin to live your authentic life, the possibilities for what you can do in your career and in your life. I must,
2: you know. the, the fear, right? So, the being in the closet is—it's just fear. So, because we all have heard the horror stories of being disowned by your family, or losing your job, or or being beaten, or or all those crazy things—the horror stories that are out there. and it's that fear. Well, like I, what I have found, and I'm very—I feel very fortunate for—is the people that I should have put a lot more trust into into my family and friends because they were extremely supportive right up front. Um, I, and I understand respect. That's not the case for everyone, but you're not going to know until you take that step. And what, one thing that I have learned and through lessons of life is there is someone out there that will love you for who you are may not be who you want at that moment in time, but I guarantee you you will find someone who will love you for exactly the way you are. Um, and I think that's important message people need to, to know because it's very easy to feel, um, closed off to the world when you're in the closet and it's a us, me versus them type um, mentality. Um, like I said, fortunately for me, that wasn't the case. Uh, I was widely
1: accepted, but it's definitely a fear. I mean, I think this points to a really important aspect of officer wellness. You know, We're talking a lot about that in today's world. And there are so many pressures on wellness and mental health around in law enforcement right now that being closeted is just another layer of pressure, another layer that can force someone into doing something that would be terrible. Coming out and being yourself and living an authentic life requires that the profession have a support for you. Uh, and we need to get past. We need to get past that and convince people that you're still part of the team. You're still who. You're, you're still the, the co-worker that we appreciate. We still have your back. Um, and if we can get If we can get to that stage where people can be their authentic selves, then we're going to improve the mental health of everybody,
0: I believe. So this is mostly a question for Greg, whether for fear of being outed or for fear of losing your job, was there ever a point in your career that made you consider leaving? If so, what made you decide to stay?
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, as Anthony talked about earlier, I worked at the same agency that he experienced that homophobia in, though it was, what year was that happened 2003. 2003. I left there in 98. So that decade of the 90s, again, was a very different time. It was a very different time. But, uh, And I was, I was not out there. I knew I couldn't be out there or anywhere else at that time. Um, but I was working and having a a successful career. I was a manager in the department and, uh, I got called into my boss's office one day. This was in 1992 and told to sit down that, uh, one of my colleagues had expressed concerns about my lifestyle and he was going to investigate my lifestyle and about all my male roommates. And I knew where that was going. And I remember, I remember seeing my whole career flash before my eyes. I thought, oh my God, if I'm outed, I'm gonna lose my job here. I'm gonna never be able to be hired in law enforcement again. You know, I was in my, what? well, what, early, whatever age I was, early thirties. And I thought, this is gonna be horrible. And I don't know where I got the guts to do this, but I just leaned forward. I knew I knew I, I could stand firmly on what California's discrimination laws were. And I just said, You're going down a road of very dangerous questions. And if you ever ask me another question like this again, I'm going to sue you and take everything you have, your retirement, your house, and your cars. And I said, this conversation's over with. And I got up and walked out of his office. And the chief's office was right across the hall. You know exactly where it is. And I went in and I slammed the door and the chief looked up and I told him what happened. And I'll never forget this. He said, well, Greg, If you are gay, it'll be very difficult for you to be an effective leader in this organization. I I mean, I was speechless and I was so angry, but I was also terrified. And I think he saw the anger in my face. And I think he also realized that, oh, I just said something I shouldn't have said. And He goes, what do you want me to do about it? And I said, you're going to make it stop. Because if I ever hear another word about this again from you or anybody else, I'm going to sue you and I'm going to take you all. And I said, I'm leaving and I'll be back when I'm ready. I, I had still to this day don't know where I got the guts to be able to do that because I was so t- I was so scared at the time. Um, it was probably the most terrifying moment of my whole career, frankly. Um, but you know what? I never heard another word about it again. And I lasted another six years before I, I left on my own to get into uh, training and teaching, which is what I really wanted to do at that time. Yeah, and I'll follow up with that. Um, when I was interviewed
2: for the agency that I currently work for, one of the last questions of the Orbor panel, uh, they asked me, why us and not the agency that you were a cadet at? Because You, know, you spent so much time there, that should be your family. And my response to them was, I know that agency has a problem with my sexual orientation. I know that's not gonna be a problem here. And they looked me in the eyes and they said, very well. I got a phone call two weeks later <clears throat> saying, go ahead and start.
1: He's an applicant sitting in front of the undersheriff and a captain and a lieutenant and leans forward and says that. I. I have always admired that courage, you know, to be able to do that. But he was honest and he held people accountable right from the very beginning. And, you know, it's made a huge difference. And you've had, you've had a great career. there.
2: absolutely have. Nothing but, yeah, I, I love my coworkers, extremely supportive. And I, I've been able to also kind of do a culture change within my agency because I was the first and only out gay deputy, right? So it was the how do we work with the gay deputy type thing. Um,
1: How did you describe it? A science experiment.
2: It was a science experiment, right? And so, uh, but now we have other members of the LGBTQ community that work for our department, and they're thrilling and they're and they're doing great, and we're not having this this science experiment, um, you know, go on with these other members. And so, uh, that part has been extremely beneficial for not only me but my agency, seeing that growth and my agency come that far in the short amount of time I worked there, a little over ten years.
1: So. Yeah. Well, I also suspect the other thing that happened was, I mean, I, I immediately went to our employee assistance program, our department psychologist, because I didn't know what to do. And I was, I just didn't know what to do. And I trusted this guy. And when I told him the story, he turned pale and said, Oh my God. And, you know, gave me some counseling and said, you know, take some time off and catch your breath. You're in the right here. I think he called them. I think he called the city never told me this, but I think he called the city and said, "You better fix this, because you've got you've, you've bitten off more than you can chew, and you've got some liability here." Now, since then, they've had a chief who was an out lesbian, which is great. They've had some gay officers, we we believe, but the culture is still very challenging, and we still see stories in the news from departments across the U.S., just in the in the Bay Area, big you know, investigation going on about racist and homophobic comments being texted back and forth between officers. So there is, a, there is still a culture that I'll describe as pervasive. It may not be everywhere, but it's, it's still common enough in this profession, it's toxic. And you say, well, they're just words. They don't really mean that, it's just words, but for the closeted officer or for the cadet who's coming up through the ranks, those words define the future. And they are the words that are going to keep people from ever being able to come out. Um, So just because we don't see those out officers in our agencies next to us in patrol cars doesn't mean that they're not there. A prime example of me being a cadet,
2: hearing it, right, and being closeted and now thinking, now I can't be out in my career. Because if if I am, I'm never going to survive. I'm I'm never never going to be able to live my dream job being my true self. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's sometimes so we, you know, we say it's just word, we're joking around, horsing around, and I get it. The job is dark. We see some very dark things. We need a way to uh, express ourselves, but we have to be careful how we do it and what we say. Um, so there's, there's a very fine line
1: there. This goes back years ago. Going back to the whole wellness and mental health thing, there was an officer who, com- who committed suicide, and uh, the agency went in to try to figure out what happened. And it was very clear that this officer was gay. He lived by himself in an apartment. All the pictures on the walls were of him and other guys. There was no sign of any female anywhere. He was a young officer. There were rumors in the agency that maybe he was gay. We don't ever know for sure. But I have to wonder, so where did how did he get to that place at the age of 25 where he felt there was no way out in this profession where we consider ourselves to be family, brothers and sisters, where we profess that we care so much about each other. And, you know, I think about that, that officer frequently, especially when I'm doing trainings and whatnot. That's that's something we, we've got to deal with as a profession.
2: And that's an important piece of that talked about family. Uh, you know, a lot of different law enforcement agencies out there that, that work a lot of different ways, but your your average patrol, your cop, your community policing, I spend more time with my partners than I do my own spouse. I'll spend 16, 18 hours a day sometimes, sometimes 24 hours a day with my partners and I won't even see my spouse at all. Um, so you become very close with the people that you work with and you have to trust one another. And if you can't tell your partner certain things, then you don't have that trust there. You're going into these dangerous situations that you, make, you might have to make a life or death decision. And you have to know your partner is able to do, to do that as well. And if your head's not in the right game, you can get someone seriously hurt, if not killed. And so for me coming out, one of the things, the decision I had asked myself was, if I go through this career field as a lie, I'm a lying to my partners. I can't expect them to be truthful with me as well. Um, and so I had to make that determination of wherever I need to be out, And if I work for an agency that doesn't accept me, then I don't need to be there. I need to go somewhere else. You know, maybe that's my dream agency that I want to work. Is it really my dream agency if I can't be accepted there for who I am? Um, So that was part of my decision-making of why I decided to come out even after talking to Greg and after the Academy and letting start letting those coworkers I worked with know who I was was because I couldn't live this lie anymore and then also expect them to be honest with me. Um, So...
1: Yeah. And in a profession where the truth means everything, where your integrity in telling the truth means everything, living a lie is counter to that. You know, I think to a certain extent, we put officers in more danger by causing them to continue to have to tell these lies about who they are and creating this false narrative to the extent that someday maybe that's going to be used against them, you know, in some sort of a way to challenge their integrity, even a Brady issue around not being truthful and then you
2: just have to also imagine the uncomfortableness right so you're sitting around a briefing table and our supervisors asking each individual at the table so what did you do this weekend what'd you do this weekend Oh, me and my wife went to a baseball game Oh, me and my wife went to dinner and then you get to a guy who's closeted and he's he's got to come up with a lie if you know if you if he was out dating or seeing someone of of the same sex right you know for me i'm very fortunate i can say me and my husband went and did this and it's not an issue. Um, but I couldn't imagine for 30 years sitting at a briefing table, telling a lie of what I did over the weekend. Um, so, so to the people that I love and like we're supposed to be family. Right. So
0: speaking of this, the support that law enforcement really needs, whether internally or externally, Greg, can you talk about your work with Out to Protect and how it supports LGBTQ officers?
1: Well, Out to Protect is a non-profit, national nonprofit. It's a 501c3 that I started back in 2009. And its sole purpose at that time was to provide scholarships for young LGBT officers uh, to support them while they were moving through the academy. Those who were out as role models using royalties from the first book I wrote. But it's evolved Really into a training organization now. Um, in 2016, we realized that law enforcement could benefit from LGBT awareness training to, for having some discussions about, hey, these are the correct terms, an understanding of sexual orientation and gender identity, uh, how to how to effectively communicate with someone during a hate crime investigation or a response to domestic violence. We had marriage equality, you know, uh, approved nationwide the year before, so we started getting into this training field and it's really exploded. We have a lot of interest from agencies across the U S in improving the cultural competence of their officers, uh, which is, it's super promising, It's super promising. And that also is, I think contributing to improving the wellness of cultures, law enforcement agency cultures. It's allowed conversations to take place in agencies where maybe people were afraid to ask questions or afraid to, to have those conversations. Um, and then more recently, we've been getting into helping agencies learn how to create LGBT liaison programs, which is helping to build trust with their communities. And uh, it's really exciting to see where it's where it's all going. But you were one of our scholarship recipients. I was. <clears throat> I was. Uh,
2: so one of the big things I think uh, that we used to do when the academy was still around, uh, that at least made a, a big difference within the region of where uh we live and work is the academy did a, um, a, a cop project, community oriented policing project, where they would do an immersion into the Castro of San Francisco and meet the gay community there. They take the whole class there. They get to walk around, see either stereotypes or non-stereotypes, but then they get to meet a group of gay cops. And where I think this is super impactful is anyone who's in the closet like me that's going through the academy, now got to see there's other people that exist. Um, <clears throat> that they're, they are not only the only one, and these are successful cops from lieutenants all the way down to your basic patrol officer. So you get to see rank and file, you get to see people who's really chiefs, chiefs, yeah, that have blossomed through and made it through their career as an out LGBTQ person. Um, and it, I, at least I know, we've had people come out after that, so oh, really? um, that weren't out before. Yeah. And so now we're helping the workforce. You know, I said this yesterday, and I'm a firm believer. Unfortunately, law enforcement right now kind of has a bad rap in a country, and we are losing cops quicker than we can hire them. And why would we ever deny a good person that could potentially be a great cop simply because of their sexual orientation is mind-blowing to me. Not only is it a disservice to the law enforcement community, in my opinion, but it's a disservice to the country. If if, if that person is a good person and they can be a great cop, why would we deny him that right? Um, and so, with this, with this um, cop project that we did, it's helping more people come out and be free, and they can be that better officer and have an understanding that they're not the only one. Um, and this, so, that's just a little bit of work that the when the academy was around and Greg did with his um, company. But then now, like going to the FBI National Academy and meeting department heads from around not only the United States but the world and being able to speak to them, I think is huge. Uh, because we look up to our leaders, right, That people that we work for. I look up to my sheriff. I look up to – people look up to their chiefs of police. That's you know, People should want to strive to be that one day, to be that top leader. And so they want to be able to see themselves, right, can, can they be that person, and then know if – are they supported from the top? And so I think that's where we're doing great
1: work uh, with that. Yeah, the, the uh, Our partnership with the FBI's Office of Partner Engagement started – gosh before covid and this idea that came up about you know could you come out to the national academy and speak to these law enforcement leaders the fbi had never provided any lgbt awareness training before in its history and i remember the invitation the thought of going out there for me was like mind blowing you know that's 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 a pinnacle career move you know a moment to be able to go there and then to be able to speak to that audience and i was totally humbled by it um, but the assistant director of the FBI who runs the office of partner engagement introduced us for the first time to this auditorium full of 250 law enforcement executives and said, this is a milestone moment for the FBI. It's the first time we've ever had this conversation here. And I thought, okay, this is, this is really a remarkable moment, but they realized that we have to have this conversation. This is an important conversation to have. And in talking with the participants informally afterwards, we met people who came from agencies where they never talked about LGBT issues because it just wasn't something you did. It was the first time that they had had a conversation, and this is just in, this was just after COVID, when we first got there. Um, so it's, if you would have asked me back in 1978, do you think you ever would be speaking about being gay at the FBI National Academy. In no 2000,
2: way. 2003, to even 2012, no I would never have never pictured myself doing that or being here. Um, it's and that's why you know I say law enforcement, we are progressing. I just wish it was a little sooner. I think we should we should be a little further ahead than we currently are, but I, I like to see at least we are progressing. And so and you have to give kudos where kudos are due. And I mm-hmm. am glad we're not still in that old mindset way, because it it's still very real in certain parts of the country. They're they're still operating in, in a very old school mentality way, and we get that meeting these department heads Well, they'll tell you, well, I don't have any gay officers, so why is this? Why do I need to know this?" And to me, that's just mind blowing. Like one, what makes you think you don't have any gay officers? And if you truly don't, why? And three it doesn't mean at some point in the future you can get one. And so, if, if you already think, well, this is this, can, this is never going to apply to us, we're in the United States. This is a free country. I mean, there's anyone can walk through your doors and put in an application, right? So it's mind blowing
1: that we're still having the, these kind of issues today. And there are ex- lots of examples of where law enforcement is in a leadership position in this area. You know, I, I again, I have to hand it to the FBI. Looking at their history and the role that they were assigned back in the 50s, you know, to investigate and f- weed out gay people that were working in federal government to now recognizing the need to provide law enforcement leaders with this training and investing time in the national academy program for it that's leadership even though it may not be what the audience wants to hear they recognize that they need to hear it and that is so important that's leadership but there's examples at the local level too you know we were just talking about some of the things going on at the legislative level in the south Florida and Tennessee. Well, frankly, there's some law enforcement agencies there that are working aggressively to build trust with their law enfor- with their LGBT communities. And they're doing amazing work. They're expanding on programs. They are becoming the model for the rest of the country in the places where you would think it would least be likely to be happening. But that's law enforcement stepping up saying, no, we need to build trust with this community. And these are agencies that have supported out lgbt officers and and so that's where you can look and say hey wow law enforcement does have the capacity to be in front of this and to be in a leadership role and we're just hoping to inspire agencies to right. do more of it and, and that's our job that's, that's the street cops job right we
2: law enforcement can't exist without a community to serve and if we're not doing everything we can to help serve that community then we're not doing our job appropriately at least in my opinion yeah. um, and so I think it's great that we get to do what we get to do and to help make these other department heads go back down to their agencies and do a better job in their communities.
0: So I think you both have covered quite a few topics involving law enforcement and LGBTQ plus and law enforcement. And I just wonder if you both have any advice for new LGBTQ officers and those thinking of becoming law enforcement professionals.
1: Everybody in every identity group in a community wants to see themselves represented in the rank and file of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Every gender identity, every race, every nationality, every sexual orientation, every religion. People want to see themselves represented in the rank and file of law enforcement. And law enforcement needs good people today. I think as an LGBT person, LGBTQ person, you have something to offer we're still a very, very small minority in law enforcement. And there are a lot of agencies who don't have an out LGBT officer. Maybe they never have. So there is an opportunity for you to go and offer that local agency something that they've never had before. And I challenge young people and applicants to look beyond that stereotype that law enforcement isn't welcoming of you because there are agencies that are welcoming and would love to have an out LGBT person in their rank and file. I really believe that. And so go find that. Don't let the fears of who you are hold you back from something that you really want to do. If you have law enforcement in your blood because you went on a ride-along one day, but you're afraid because you're lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or anything else, that you're not going to be accepted, there is a place for you in this profession. And if you're a transgender person and you have worries about locker rooms and restrooms and all of those Common worries that many transgender people have. Agencies are understanding that, and there's some really great things that are finally being done to make it a comfortable workplace for transgender employees. So go find those agencies and apply, because that's a desirable qualification for places. I don't know how I can say it better than that.
2: The only thing I guess I would add is for a, a new, a new hire uh, out, um, gay deputy out there is the a piece of advice that I live by that I got from Greg's husband, and that is people will be as comfortable with you as you are with yourself. Um, and I've lived by that, and that has done wonders for me. You um, need a little bit of confidence, and I understand that's hard, and that you have to build up to that. Um, it doesn't come easy. Once you can get there and get that, you're going to do great
1: things, and people are going to respect you and expect great things from you. Tony, My husband Tony told me that. The first time I took him to a work Christmas party, I was newly out. We had just met. And this was the first time that the boss was going to bring his boyfriend to a work party. And I was terrified, absolutely terrified. And I didn't want to go in. I was making all kinds of excuses not to go in. But that's what he told me that. And so, all right, let's do it. And and he's right. He's absolutely right.
0: Wow. Well, I think we've covered a lot of, a lot of different things and I thank you gentlemen so much for, for taking your time out and participating and, and being a willing participant in this, in this whole process, this whole project, this whole journey. And I wonder if to close things out, if you both could share what you would want people to know about your experience.
2: I've had a great one.
0: You know. As I
2: alluded to earlier, uh, we can't afford not to hire a great cop. Because um, I, I think, in a time where we need more cops more than ever, um, why would we ever turn, like I said, turn someone away because of their sexual orientation is still in me? Throughout my 10 year career, I've done, in my opinion, a lot than most others haven't. Um, my other passion, other than being a cop, is teaching. So I'm a firearm instructor, active shooter instructor, um, building search instructor run our cadet program, I teach preaching, I do all these great things, but I've been able to do it because my not only have I been supported towards my agency, but my agency supports me and it comes with that confidence. And so my, my biggest thing I guess I would say is any fear that you have, don't let it overcome. Go out and live the world. And you I think you'd be more surprised than not things are going to work out the way you want. You, you dream them to work out.
1: One of the most common questions I get from my students today is, as you look back on your career, if you had to do it over again, would you? Knowing what you know today and what you witnessed today, and my answer is absolutely yes. We're in some difficult times right now, but we've been in difficult times before. Go study the 1960s. It wasn't a great time to be in law enforcement in the 1960s. And a lot of the issues are very much the same as they were then. It's still a great job. It's a fun job. It's a very challenging job. It's a very stable job. And I would say that if it's in your heart to do it, go do it. There's tons of opportunity out there. And stay with it and be your authentic self in every regard. That's my Uh, A great quote from Southland, a TV show, a cop TV show.
2: The FTO tells his rookie that this job is the best seat in the house for the greatest show in the world. And it's truly true. Just, it, it, I can't sum it up better than that. You have the best seat in the house for the greatest show in the world.
0: That was part one of the Pride Behind the Badge series featuring Greg Moralia and Anthony Casper. We hope you'll take some time to explore our digital exhibit, Experience Pride Behind the Badge, The History of LGBTQIA in Law Enforcement. Remember, the companion program for the digital exhibit will air live on YouTube this Wednesday, June 28th at 2 p.m. The register link is in the episode description. We hope you found this conversation enlightening and will join us again for another edition of Icons, where we introduce listeners to incredible people working within law enforcement who have had a profound impact on the community. These one-on-one interviews provide insight into their lives and careers so we can better understand their challenges and recognize their bravery, commitment, and sacrifice. The ICON series is not just about contemporary figures in the law enforcement community, but about all of those who have served their communities and the world from now and in the past. Be sure to tune back in with us for future ICONS episodes exclusively on Tuesdays every month to learn about key figures in American law enforcement history. Please subscribe to Precinct 444 on your favorite podcasting platform to stay connected and to receive our latest content as soon as it drops. We would love to hear from you. Send in your questions, comments, and feedback to precinct444 at nleomf.org. You can help us make our content even better. The National Law Enforcement Museum is located at 444 E Street Northwest in Washington DC and is dedicated to telling the story of American law enforcement. We expand and enrich the relationship between law enforcement and the community through educational journeys, immersive exhibitions, and insightful programs. Find us online at lawenforcementmuseum.org and stay tuned for more podcast content from Precinct 444. Until next time, stay safe. We'll see you at the precinct.